Hi, Trey. Can Hello. You hear me? Can you hear me? Wait. Can't hear me yet? Are you there? Uh, ah, okay, now. Okay. Uh, you, didn't get to, you didn't get to hear the sound of me pissing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too bad, man. Hello. Yeah. How's it going? Cheers. Good. Hey, so this is already our fifth meeting. <laughs> you know, I um yeah. I know. You know, I was kind of surprised how uh when I when I started up Tony's uh talk with you the other day, I was like, oh shit, an hour 45. I don't know if I can do it. And I totally did it. You know, I had to do it in two in two sessions, but I, I just put it on and it was. Uh, I don't know, it didn't feel like you were turning over an hour and 45 of your time. Yeah, I agree. It's, you know, like also I find that like the some conversations really need like an hour to. For, you know, for me and, you know, the guests to warm up. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, but really it's maybe like the last 30 minutes, which are usually the, the best. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's an interesting experiment, you know, like I, you know, I keep saying that I, I really don't know what I'm doing here in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, just, and I, I just said to my partner, like, I'm, I keep doing this just to see what may happen, you know? Right, 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 right. Well, you know, it's a, uh, I haven't really thought about it too much, but it's, uh, you do a great job and it's, you know, it's a lot like coaching. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's not, you, you, you don't come in with any, I mean, maybe you have some general ideas, but I bet you, I bet you abandon them pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I don't, I really, I try to not have any ideas really. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that like we, you know, we stopped um, like two weeks ago, we stopped at a certain point talking about your, oh, well, actually it was three weeks ago. Um, and maybe we pick up there, but uh, you know, like this kind of like little question that comes to my mind right now is, do you think that so far we have skipped something that's very important in your life? Um, uh, well, we haven't skipped something, but we're, we're, we're on our way to something. <laughs> and I'm curious, I'm curious what will happen when we talk about it, because, uh, it's kind of a sore spot as well for me. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is that? Uh, that's the quote of your project. It is the sore spot for you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But 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 um, um, uh, do we do that now, or do you want to go through? No, no, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The joy of meliptonum. That's yeah. sort of like, kind of like um, I would say your most mysterious album in a way. <laughs> Why is that? I mean, just the name, right? Oh yeah. Even. Yeah. Right. So, well, I, 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 I lived down the road from a molybdenum mine when I was in New Mexico. Okay. And so it kind of had the, it is, it's kind of a weird thing. It's kind of a weird 
substance. Uh, I've never even heard. I don't, I mean, it's one of the elements Mm -hmm. and who's heard of it. It's in our vitamins and uh, it conducts electricity. And yeah, somehow, I don't know, you grab stuff and it starts, it sticks. So that's stuck. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I've been, uh, you know, that one's pretty fresh because I've been, well, that one, and, and maybe we talk a little bit about repercussions. They're really fresh because I've, I've just finished. Uh, well, you can see all the tapes. Mm-hmm. I'm laid out now. Mm-hmm. I just finished um, the last of the uh, copying all the molybdenum tapes. Bob, Bob, actually, we recorded it on 24 track on, on analog. That's the probably the last thing I ever did on that like real analog tape uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as far as I, as far as I think can think of. And um, Bob, the percussionist uh, partner, partner with me um, pretty much through the whole tray gun band process and, and, and earlier um, toggle player, drummer, great guy. And also a uh, uh, engineer. He built a studio in New York with him, got an old Neve desk, 32 channel Neve desk and put flying faders in it and, that's where we recorded it in his studio. So he had just, just recently transferred all those. He want, he's moving and wanted to get rid of all this freaking analog tapes. I mean, they're huge and heavy and you only get 15 minutes on one reel of tape. So he had them digitized and I just kind of uh, have been going through the process of looking to see what's there and organizing it. And then all of my ADAP tapes, cause we worked a little bit. Um, I was already living in Seattle. I wasn't living in New York anymore. So I would go to New York and we record a bit and then, you know, dump bits of it on the ADAP and I would come home and work and we bring it back. And, and so I have all that, um, which is, it's marginally interesting. I mean, for me, it's marginally interesting. But, but it, the interesting part is I have all the freaking rehearsal tapes and the writing tapes. And, you know, what do you do with that? So I was like, well, I'm, I started this process. I just have to keep copying them. So I have just an insane amount of, for me, insane amount of, of rehearsal tapes and writing tapes and even running dats. For some reason, I totally forgotten that we were even before the recording began, like maybe we had been on the road and, and Frazza was doing live sound for us and Frazza's in the studio with us doing a live, uh, uh, a running dat while we're writing. Dude, that guy's a hero to sit there, sit there through all that because I'm listening to the tapes and we're just going for hours and hours and hours permutating like one tune to try to figure out the form. And, you know, I can, I can hear when I get to the multi-tracks on some of that, Robert's got, um, he had uh, taken the tabla faders and he was like sending them to the eventide and just screwing around with those and having fun, which we didn't even hear at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, really interesting to hear those writing sessions. And I don't think how, I, I mean, we did what we had to do to figure out I mean, some of the pieces are, are very open and some of them are very uh, super tightly constructed. And the super tightly constructed ones, um, 
Sometimes I wrote stuff and brought it in, but a lot of times Tony and Tony Jabal and, and Bob and I would play them through and find the arrangement. And man, it just, it is so tedious. Mm. It is so tedious. And I don't even know. Um, I mean, nowadays I wouldn't do that at all. Now, I, like when I listen to us uh, um, go through the, the, you know, let's do it this way. Okay, let's bring in the counterpoint here and change the key here. Nowadays, I just, I can like hear right away, oh, that's a bad idea. I can just hear exactly what to do. But back then we had to play it and fucking play it and 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 play it. And And then we end up with, you know, the version. Um, And I don't even know, like this one particular tune, which ended up becoming Gate of Dreams. I don't even know if it's that great of a tune after all, all those hours and hours and hours and hours of work. But we did what we had to do. Um, so that's pretty, that, that was pretty interesting. I have demos for a lot of those tunes going way, way back before, uh, for a couple of tunes, the title tune and, and rune song, which for me are kind of, um, uh, they were just pinnacle great pieces that we played live really, really well. And, and Arrakis was earlier, but, um, I have demos, ADAT demos going way back where it's just, just raw shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So this this writing process um, could it be that you know like you you guys were trying to be or trying to go the enti- entirely democratic way of creating somehow and well, that's, that- that's why you know like because I remember something similar that like I'm in a room with people and like I know like that suggestion is not going to work but out of respect for the opinion of the other person, I then try it. And sometimes, you know, I was proven wrong. So. Yeah, there, there was definitely some of that. Um, although the, the knowing what to do with the music is, is clear from my position here now, not necessarily 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, that you're, you know, you're absolutely right. There was a kind of, um, well, I would never work like that now. I would never work like that now. I would, I would, uh, um, yeah, there was this kind of ideal that, 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 uh, this kind of group ideal, which was, um, how Crimson worked, it's how I worked all, always with Robert generally. Um, uh, not like there was complete, like, there were actually was, there was pretty much support for try any idea. Um, not the level of support that that Pat described that he, uh, the way John Paul Jones said they had with Zeppelin, where you're on stage and anyone tries anything, everybody will go with them. That never was never quite like that with Crimson, but <laughs> but in the writing process, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this kind of ideal of a, of a, a kind of a group writing, um, which. Uh, I don't know. I haven't done it in, in long enough. And I'm kind of a little different now and probably the same for you. Well, you're still doing Stickman thing, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know if you kind of bring your whole self to that the same way. If you're all, if you're left all to your own, you know what I mean? Like if you've got to make, if you've got to make a bunch of decisions really quickly, um, it's uh it's trickier and it's trickier in a, in a group um yeah 
Yeah, for sure. I, I think it, it can be uh, quite, quite, quite uh, frustrating. I mean, especially, and I'm just saying this like from my own experience, when there is like a certain um, vision that one or two people have, right? And, and you kind of like know that, like the suggestion to add like a background vocalist, right? Like, no, no, that's not what we want, right? Like we never wanted that. And it was kind of clear, but like if, if ideas like that are being presented in the writing process, like in, you know, then that, that can really derail um, a band, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. it helps. It helps uh, to have uh, uh, a vision that everybody can kind of sink into. And I, and I guess that's what we kind of think of as leadership, but now leadership is so uh, embedded with the idea of politics that it's hard to yeah. Yeah. feel that away. Um, uh, and and um, I definitely had I definitely had a bit of a vision for at least some directions with the the Joy Mulligan and Tony and Bob were were to, uh, up for everything. I mean, when I listen to the tapes, I'm like, damn, Bob is really putting up with a lot here. <laughs> you know, um, uh, but it was cool, you know. And also, part of the process was at the time. Um, uh, Bob's studio and using the studio and trying to get things to sound uh, really good in a way that um, was kind of beyond my um, my capacity, but also even my interest to work so hard to get um, you know this kind of mic and this kind of tape. And um, I, I kind of jump off the boat a little earlier than than some people, um, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and also the aim was to have to be able to ha have stuff that you could play live, which was tricky because we did kind of run. It's really easy with overdubbing. At least we only had twenty four tracks, but you can easily make stuff that's uh, a challenge to play live. But um, that was the case with with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, writing writing material that only has three or four parts, right? That, that's what that means, right? It's 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 pretty hard, you know. Yeah. As you say, especially if you have the the technology available to to flesh out arrangements, and like we kind of run into the same problem even with stickman material. I bet. Yeah, but then we've always found a solution. I mean, you, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to really play the the tune the same way. No, um, no, and that's the freedom. Once you, I think once you go around that loop a few times, you realize I can make an arrangement of anything. So let's just make the record, and then we'll make an arrangement. Hey, was it also the time of the, the the smoky amps and stuff? Was that absolutely? That was that session. Yes, it was. And what do you what do you know about the smoky amps? <laughs> well, a little, only a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the smoky amp came from uh, um, the smoky amp came from David Bottrell. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we were recording the Sylvian Fripp record the first day, David had these little, I think at the time they were still literally made in a cigarette packet. Mm -hmm. uh, and David liked to use those. He would, he would set them up and mic them. Mm -hmm. And he would like send a guitar through and it would be like, 
or or backing vocals. So there's a lot of uh, or a lot of vocals. There's quite a bit of vocals uh, on the Sylvian Fripp record in the background with this little smoky amp. Mm-hmm. So we uh, I got a couple of those and uh, we we recorded. I mean, David mixed the record, and actually, one of the tracks I was sending ADAPs from to Seattle to New York for the mix, and they didn't ever arrive. Mm-hmm. So we actually did do a little recording in in the mix session because we needed another tune, and then the tapes arrived after I had to leave New York, and they 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 mixed it. Uh, but the the coup for the Smoky Amp um, is that I found a way to. I don't know how this happened, but I just found a way of just plugging the the guitar in uh, directly to the amp, and then this idea of feedback where you bring the amp to the speaker. I just brought the speaker to the guitar, mm-hmm. and so I was able to do this kind of feedback. But but the weird thing, and you can see it on um, we have a record. Uh, 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 a live show of the tune Sozzle uh, recorded at NAMM on, on YouTube somewhere. And I figured out that actually bringing the, the amp to the strings wasn't the thing to do, maybe because our, our instruments were so massive uh, that actually bringing the amp to the back of the neck in different spots along the neck would bring out different, different kinds of feedback. So yeah, that's this, that's the smoky world. And it's such a cool, it's a, such a cool thing, and it's kind of a hassle to deal with it, but it's such a cool, such a cool thing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's the idea of the prepared instrument, yeah, using using an electronic electric device here, and and um, you know, I do remember also one of the aims that I ha- always had for um, for several of my early records, but <clears throat> really this one too is this. Um, like a a, 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 a a question or kind of a problem to solve an underlying all the music was how do you write instrumental music that's not jazz or classical mm-hmm. and that's the that's that was the thing that i was always wrestling with at, at the time you know how do you do that so it's not a jazz head and then solos and and about totally composed and and that, that was kind of our solution at the time well, from my perspective, I think you did a great job. Um, I think you know those tunes are like if if anything, you would I would call them world music. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and you know, there's obviously there are just only a few elements of the uh, of crimson in there, which I also appreciated a lot back mm-hmm. then. That it wasn't just like you know, it wasn't just an extension of crimson. Yeah. yeah. And, um, well, and a lot of that helped, I mean, mindset, but also, um, a lot of that is Bob's contribution who, who, who we could have done kind of a more fusion-y drum thing, but we were always both kind of on the page, like, how do we bring in this world percussion, but have balls with it, you know, and, and, and groove and the, the way we did that. And on, on my earlier records that Bob played on too, we would often, <clears throat> record the the hand percussion first and then he would work out a drum kit part that would fit with it which means you would never ever come up with that drum kit part it sounds ridiculous on its own and yeah. no drummer would want to play it because it's not actually very pleasant mm-hmm. so bob would often i mean a couple of times we even had the 
take the hi-hat away and like have a pad that he would hit or even like a um, sometimes a metal uh, music stand you know mm -hmm. just to break up the drum kit uh, and I, I there's probably that's I bet that has a big contribution to the, the strength of the recording mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. approach there yeah. and and it was also really the um still sort of like the beginning of you exploring the war guitar properly let's say yes with the uh, articulations on the on the instrument that you couldn't do on the stick and um these yeah. things being able, to, being able to really um explore soloing um, without all the, the the limitations of the stick there was always mm -hmm. these variables that you had to deal with and now you can just um you know, you can just get a note that sounds as good as a guitar player. And that, yeah. Okay. Now, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also, also the the bass parts. Mm. I think they they had like um, suddenly there was like this uh, variation in note length. Let's say like really short things. Like this, the version. I think there's this. There's a version of uh, one of the uh, uh, of the winds tracks on one of your later albums right yeah 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 and like like the old, old very old version i did on the stick yeah exactly yeah and and that's was the only version i knew at that point and then hearing it played on the war guitar you're playing very like on the frets and very very staccato and and maybe even i don't remember did you have a piezo pickup back then already i might have but i i never liked those yeah I, yeah but I, it, it just it just had it has more of that quality like like this like more acoustic more control more variation and um that was sort of like really um i think like in the world of people who listen to recordings with this instrument let's say it had it had a huge impact like it was it was the first time that the instrument really sounded like like a professional instrument somehow so on that that really uh especially on that on that was that the third record you did with the war guitar yeah. it, was, uh, right? uh, it was my third solo CD. yeah so so it was the second with the with the war yeah. guitar yeah 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 so it was still pretty and you know there's another track because you said we could also talk about um repercussions right and yeah. there's there's this one, uh, and I don't know the the names of the of the pieces really. Like, were they even <laughs> were they even on the record? No. Well, what's funny about the names? I may even have them here. Uh, originally, Bill didn't want any names at all. So the original, there were no names, yeah. and the only reason we ever put names later was we decided to um, uh, make the individual tracks available digitally. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to have names. So we came up with names and Bill had just some ridiculous names, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but there's, there's one track where you're playing a relatively fast bass part that really didn't sound at all like it was tapped because it had like, there was so much control and like the growl, like a growl, almost like a, like a fretless instrument, which I know it wasn't, but um, it had that, that's kind of quality and, and you know you could kind of like even hear that the response of the strings was like they were really um they were really how should i say this um 
it sounded as if the the string tension was higher somehow than before and you could play this these fast things and i i wish i knew the name of the track oh. it's like with a ridiculous organ solo by robert and yes <laughs> and but anyway it's um yeah and you know i i played around with i felt like um you know i had a lot of struggle in the early days of the stick getting the getting the um you know if you're if the music is based on the stick you're fine but when you go into a world where traditionally there's bass guitar i found it very challenging so when i got the war guitar that had more blossom and bloom in the low end and um, i kind of for for quite a while i just started rolling off the high end rolling off the high end and, and kind of taking away what's traditionally experienced of the stick the the, the zing and 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 i even felt like maybe i even went too far sometimes you know like i just ended up kind of down there and and, and not present beyond what a very subtle bass guitar would do that and that's fine for you know that's fine for some stuff but um yeah and that 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 record repercussions oh shit now i don't know i was going to say it would have been the eight string but i bet it wasn't the eight string i bet it wasn't mm -hmm. i don't remember no mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i i think like coming back to that to that bass sound um this this kind of like rubbery sound that you you would you know get with a touch instrument you know like is very pronounced in the in the baritone register so mm -hmm. like really not on the very low strings right so um at that time when you were playing more bass parts and like audible bass parts right um it was interesting that like that that baritone register actually then had enough low ends to function mm. as a bass uh -huh. and kind of kind of like that was sort of uh, sort of eye-opening right and and in a way that was also the time when i well i i got my head string warrior uh, and when was it 90 97 i think it was 97 oh. yeah and so um that was sort of like a very just you know finally that was for me it was the eight string eight string from then on you know i didn't never went back but just having this this option like there's actually an instrument that has the, the i can play in the baritone register which i mostly did with europa string choir mm. but it sounded like a bass yeah it yeah. sounded like the bass voice right and uh, and that was just um just you know and i wonder how it's funny this came up in a a, a coaching session the other day because um I can't remember why it came up, but I uh, but I pulled up. Um, there's a guy out here, Skip Fantry, who who makes uh, um, strings, K Circle K strings. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They go up to. I have one here. He sent me. It's a 256. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, because he makes these ultra uh, uh, sub bases that go up to 40, 40 inches. And I went over to Skip's many years ago and he had a, a, maybe it was a five string. It might've been a four string. I can't remember. And it was extra long, like 38 inches or 39 inches. And the bass went down to um, E, B, F sharp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the thing was that was interesting was that the low string didn't sound that great. I mean, it didn't sound that useful to me, 
but man, the higher the higher register was so unbelievably fat that you would never get that on a regular bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I thought, man, I would I could play this thing and not even touch the two low strings, and it's like you're up here, but it's like boom, and so it could be it could it's a little bit similar what you're talking about, like maybe the, the scale length and the, the the string tension and yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I've I found out in later later days, so maybe only around 2007 or so, that actually a lot comes from the uh, really the 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 lighter you play, the the fatter the note, mm-hmm. well, and and the less compressed the note, mm-hmm. and and that has become sort of like my thing, so that I have really I only have a 105. Yeah, as the B flat, right. actually, right? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty. Well, you good. have it as C. I have it as B I have flat. It as a C, yeah, I've gone up as high as one twenty six, mm-hmm. and I thought I was fine there, and then I worked my way back to one hundred five, and now I, 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 I really like that. Yeah, I remember the original uh, gauges that Mark War uh, sent with the instrument it was one, uh, one to six, I think it was, or one to five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but anyway, let's let's come back to the albums, right? Um, yeah. So, um, what do you remember about the recording of, of repercussions? Um, I was thinking about it this morning. Actually, two, two a couple of things I was thinking about in relation to you know we 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 weren't we had no intention of making that record. Uh, Bill Rieflin brought brought uh, Robert and I in to play on his first solo record ever, Birth of a Giant. And basically we came in and played on Bill's tracks on that record. And whatever he had, um, whatever he, like the list that he had of us, the stuff that he wanted us to play on and the amount of time that he allowed, allotted for it, they didn't correspond at all. Basically like we were done in a quarter of the time and he was like, well, okay, play on this thing. And then I was like, well, shit. Um, do you guys want to just play? So we went out and just improvised and that that's, that's where repercussions came from. And it wasn't even very long. I mean, I think, um, when I was digitizing the, 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 the tapes a couple of months ago, um, maybe four or five reels of, of tape. So, and this was on analog. So, uh, you know, an hour and a half for playing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I do feel a little confused because I see in my notes that we had another session at a different time a few months later, and I don't remember that at all. I don't actually remember a lot of playing. Um, it just went by so quick, and we were just... Um, um, Robert and I had a couple, like we had a few new things that we were doing. Um, new sounds and um, we were both running MIDI and he had just gotten into his his uh, his uh, vibe synths and his his uh, is there saxophone synth on that record? I can't remember. I don't know if he'd gotten into the saxophone sound yet, but but the organ sound and and um, there was uh, you know we were we were there was this incredible freedom because. Bill was kind of directing us and 
um, when Robert doesn't have his agenda, he's just like, just go crazy. You know, um, you know, when he's not driving the show, he's just like, so free and open and let's just try everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. And I don't even know what Bill's plan. I mean, we didn't have any, we didn't even, we don't, we didn't even know what Bill's plan was with the recording. It didn't have anything to do with us at all. We thought he would probably use it on his record. Uh, and so it wasn't until a, a few months later that, you know, um, I don't know how it was. Bill came and said, we should, we should, you know, cut and paste this stuff. And we had done this weird, we had done this weird thing, which is, is, um, uh, it's going to be really interesting when I remix all of this, especially in quad, because what Bill did was he had like a drum loop that he would put on tracks one and two. And then he was recording his drums with just three mics. So it was just a stereo pair and a kick drum. And then I was stereo and Robert was stereo. So, so that's only seven tracks. So on one piece of tape, we would play like three different improvs to the drum loop. And now they're all mushed on top of each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, the, the kind of production process was was Bill and I deciding, you know, whose part goes with which performance and, and that kind of thing, you know, and Robert would do soundscapes for one whole pass and then soloing. So the, 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 the recording that we ended up with um, was just kind of this early mix and match of, of stuff that was, uh, um, whatever you call it, uh, continuously on the tape next to each other, but not. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, and we and we didn't have any editing tools, so it was uh, we would just mix from the ADATs to ADAT. Uh, I think on I think actually on my little Mackie sixteen channel was what we did it on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and you know what's what's I, I what's really interesting that that it occurred to me a couple of weeks ago that you might find interesting was that for 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 all practical purposes, actually for all real purposes, that was the beginning of the the projects and um, this kind of freedom to we're not talking about tonality or or rhythm or i mean bill's even doing stuff where he's slowing up and speeding down you know we leave we leave the drum loop behind um there's just this very big freedom and but you know what occurred to me? Actually, the real beginning of the projects was when Robert and I did a session with Brian Eno for the NerveNet record, mm -hmm. which I don't remember when that was, but it was before that. Um, I was over in England. Oh, NerveNet is from 91 or something, right? It's like much earlier. Yeah. Could it be that early? Shall I check it? <laughs> Why don't you check it? Um, <laughs> It's that early. That really freaks me out. But I, I, I didn't have the war guitar. Mm. No, I was, I was playing the stick. So, yeah, it check it. It was released in 92. Okay. So, uh, um, I was in England. Probably we were doing, I don't know what, Sylvian Fripp stuff or something. I, I can't remember. And then uh, Robert got a call from Eno. And I don't think he'd done a session with Eno for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, uh, he's going to go down for two days. And then would I like to join them? 
I was like, no, nah, I don't want to play with you guys. <laughs> I was like, sure. So he brought me in the last day and it was a fascinating day. Um, you know, I was nervous. I was pretty nervous. Singleton was there and, and Eno was there and, and, and Robert and then Eno's engineer. I can't remember his name. Great engineer though. And it was a, I think it was his private studio or something. I can't remember. It was, it wasn't a big studio. And, um, we played on all sorts of stuff. He just brought up stuff and he was so, he was really the first time I got like what a producer can do for the vibe. Like he was so enthusiastic and it was so contagious that you just wanted to play. You just wanted to play, you know? And, um, uh, it was the opposite of so many other sessions I've done where you're like, uh, I don't know what to do. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's just, oh, that's so great. And he was so enthusiastic about his stuff. And okay, well, I, we did that. Okay, now I get, let's bring this other tape up and do this and that. And, and the very, very end of the day, maybe it was even two days. I can't remember now, but very, like the last few hours of the session, you know, had kind of run out of his stuff that he was throwing at us. And now he was just throwing drum beats at us. And uh, uh, for some of it, for a lot of it, Robert and I were recording at the same time. So we were playing together to these drum loops and with no direction at all. Just like, I got this tune. Okay, you guys go. And uh, there was this moment where I don't know what Robert was doing. You know, I, I, I can read the guitar. I can read the the fretboard quite good on his tuning and regular tuning, but I couldn't see him. And and I wasn't sure what I was doing. And there was this, I, I had this sense of like, I can play any note I want mm -hmm. and I'm going to, <laughs> and, and just make something cool. That's groovy. And it can be just like, burp, 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 burp. And then Robert played this little soundscape thing. And then Eno asked him to do a solo over it. And so Robert went into control, went into the studio. Um, sometimes we were in the control room. Anyway, he went into the studio and Eno stood in the control room and was conducting it. And his conducting was like. <laughs> and that's all he did. And. Robert played, he played a solo like I've never ever heard him play ever before. It was completely unlike the vocabulary that I'd ever heard him do. It was like ridiculously chromatic. And I don't know, I, I, I have this memory of him really following Eno's gestures. Um, I don't know how much he was really tracking them or not, but he basically in that moment just kind of opened up this whole vocabulary which which went on to become these really chromatic soloing lines that you heard in the crimson and thrack and 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 power to believe and what was all over the 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 project stuff so for me now that i think about it that's really where that moment of like let's open the, like this little door peeked open we couldn't really get back to it for many years but um mm -hmm. you know i I have not been there, but and, and, I, I but, left that track off the record. Ah, uh, he did. <laughs> but there's there's one solo he did, like he that. Did he did release it eventually. Anyway, like I think on the on the record, there's a track called "Distributed Being," which has 
one soul that is the way that you describe like a frip soul and i i kind of agree you know like to for me there's even like the art the uh, arc is even funnily enough um with um sunday all over the world i think for me the solos that robert is playing on those that album they are sort of like unique in his in his way of soloing just just the sound even and the no choice and stuff and and like like bendings in ways that he's not really done mm. i think and and then like maybe then maybe just a couple of years later was this you know session right and so then came comes king crimson well southern frip and there is like some of that um like firepower you know <laughs> life where robert starts doing the also like some tapping with the right hand and and you got these really this these big intervals you know in in the solos and stuff and then with crimson it kind of like it goes back a little bit into like more of an old old-fashioned way um but then with rack attack things kind of like go into the into the complete open field then with the with david singleton compiling because I, I spoke to david singleton actually a couple of weeks ago and and he explained to me the process of of creating a thrack attack right so we took like three minute improvs into and he you know he turned them into 10 minute pieces or originally in a 60 minute piece and 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 then uh, and then you guys on the next tour he said then you guys played longer improvs in the middle of thrack right and then there is you know and this is bit, you know because i do not i do not know the timeline here then there's the nashville rehearsals in 97 that the last very last six piece uh, crimson sessions or rehearsals that you guys had right and and um repercussions where does that fit in was that after nashville uh or because i have another uh observation there well, I, I can tell you exactly because I have the tape right here. Uh, there's some edits from August 98 uh, and rough mixes in November of 97. Uh, 5-13-97 okay. was when we did the first recordings. Okay, so I would have to find out what the dates were for the Nashville sessions. I feel I feel like it, it. If that's the case, it. You know, let me let me tell you what I, I think. After, or if it was before, then Robert was already wondering if we should even be doing the six-piece Crimson. Yes, be, because on the uh, on the Repercussions album, there is none, or maybe just very little of the rep of the um repertoire motif repertoire that you guys used uh, in the projects yeah. but but on the the nashville rehearsals those are there oh interesting and that's why i'm thinking that maybe the repercussion session was probably was before yeah. and that would that would explain it and 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 but that also means that like this whole story is really like this right it's conflict super, yeah super it's conflict and interlocked also just in terms of how the material kind of like and the ideas were generated yeah, yeah fascinating man it's yeah it's, you're, you're 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 right i i would think um 
if that if we're right about that timeline, if I were Robert, I would feel very, very constrained in the six piece crimson after doing repercussions. Yes. I mean, you know, you, 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 we're flexible. We do this for a while and we know it's going to, you know, but still there's, um, you know, you can't do, I, I don't want to say you can't do that kind of improv improvising with six people, but um, it would, it, it, it would be even more special than three people doing it. You would have to have, uh, just a higher level of restraint and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think from my, from my perspective, um, listening or just remembering those, that music, like the Nashville rehearsals, it sounded to me like there wasn't even attempt, an attempt made at improvisation really. I, it, was I, sort I, of, I, it sort of sounds to me like, like it was like the beginnings of writing based on these absurd musical motifs right <laughs> and then and then i can see like with with six people like how can you really write democratically with these these puzzle pieces that need to be carefully placed and thought out that, that and and then you, basically what you guys did as a four piece for construction of light and uh, power to belief was that work then like yeah. writing from those elements yeah. right and, and uh, I would never, well, I would, I don't want to say I would never, but I would not choose to put myself in that situation with two drummers in the room. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I would think you would have to, I don't know what, separate the elements to, uh, uh, yeah. 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 It's a tricky, it's a tricky kind of thing, that kind of writing, you know. And that's what's so great about that the, the improvs you know they they're they're super challenging to listen to you know they're not they're not structured um and the architecture is evolving as it goes but um it's immediate right it, it either works or it doesn't <laughs> you don't have to spend nine months crafting little little bricks together to end up with something you just play and you know hey so with the with the trey gun band um was was improv part of of that and to uh, which extent uh yes but not like this not like this um uh, it was more um we had um uh a, a, a kind of vocabulary of cueing that i really really liked that that really worked for me for me the the the, the free improv is great but it only works um, with the right combinations of right players uh, and and it doesn't work um, all the time. So for me that the in, in a performance kind of that spectrum of composition and improvisation is the variation of that is is my, for me the most valuable or the most rewarding. So we would have solos obviously we would have um, uh, one of the things that I discovered, at least for myself, um, it, certainly nothing that I invented, was uh, uh, a kind of so uh, a kind of a structure where I would start a solo, and I'm, I'm thinking about one or two pieces in particular. I would start the solo in a certain key, and then I could hang there as long as I wanted, and then I would cue the guys for 
the, the, the next chord change, which then set up a sequence of chords. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so there was uh, there was this room to kind of um, really play the the vibe in the moment and just hang on it. Not exactly like a meditation, but maybe like hang there as long as you wanted. Um, you know, in a lot of music, that's where it ends. But then we would have this kind of wrap up out with chord changes where the solo would go around the chord and then there would be whatever kind of head we had or ending. And for me, that's just, that's kind of ideal that you've got a, um, it's a little bit like a safety net, but it's also just kind of wrapping up the freedom in a, in a, in a form. Um, a lot of the pieces were very tight, like the, the, the joy of molybdenum, that tune was a very tight rune song, very tight. Um, the solos were fixed form. Uh, the, the, the most free piece we had, uh, was a raucous, which also had a similar kind of, um, cued form that would often go off course, which was super exciting. The, the piece was basically this groove that, that, um, in, in the live shows, Joe Mendelssohn played the eight string second for guitar and Bob, they would do this kind of abstracty groove, groove, um, and basically we thought of it as in it's in the time signature of one four and then then there was what was cool was we had this organ we had these um, um, musical structures that we could cue and they went in a specific order so there were chord hits in the beginning that had certain distances between them and I would cue those and then Bob, Tony, and everybody would hit those. We also did that at the end. And then there were these little um, kind of abstracty, symmetrically chromatic lines that were kind of like, for me, kind of like, I thought of them as like African guitar parts that Tony and I would play in unison or in harmony. And there were, um, they always came in the certain order and I would just cue them whenever I felt like it. So I would actually count off to Tony each one of them, and there'd be like three, and then a chord hit, and then two, and a chord hit, and then a bunch of solos, and then we'd do it again differently. And uh, it was always uh, that piece was always exciting. There's no question about it, you know. And and it was exciting because sometimes Bob would play it slower, sometimes he'd play it so fast that Tony and I were just like we could barely hold on. And sometimes I would count off the cues, and nobody would quite get the where the one was, and we'd all come in and then it'd be like this weird spider web. So there was that, that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that, um, that worked with these, this group of guys and, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember which, which year it was that you guys started playing live shows? Uh, I think 97, 98 mm-hmm. uh, up through 2002, I think. Yeah. So about about a five year stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was hard to put, you know, it was hard to take a band on the road. Um, mm-hmm. it was, there was always, uh, you know, are we going to get enough shows on the West Coast? And where are we going to stay? You know, there's no tour manager and sound man and no, eventually no agent. And then Frazza started booking gigs for us. And, mm-hmm. But we did, we did get to go, uh, we did go down to Mexico and we, um, you know, we got to do a, a lot of different shows at different levels. 
Yeah. Did you did you play um, outside of America? Just Mexico, I believe, is the only thing. Yeah, it wasn't possible to get to Europe. Yeah. Bob had so much shit. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I wasn't even because he had all of his tablas. And um, even like when we went to Mexico, he because of the way I described how we made the recordings, like we we'd lay down tablas. And what Bob and I had figured out was like if he had two, if he had a top, the high tabla in a C sharp and a D, we could do a lot of different keys. So we had to have both those, you know, and he would we'd figure out which one would work. You know, if it didn't work, I'd change the key or something. But um, the tablas and then the band that the, the the other uh, Egyptian and and Irish and uh, Turkish percussion in with the kit and what he had to figure out to do, which is an amazing feat, um, and you can see it in some of the YouTube videos that we recorded at his studio. Um, he figured out a way to put the tabla on snare drum stands and have them right here. So he could just turn his stool and tabla mm -hmm. and he'd maybe have a, a, a dome back on his, you know, on him and then stick. So you see him doing, you know, intro on the tabla and, you know, the tabla weren't, um, they weren't nice little percussion things. They were, you know, the low drum sounded as big as a kick drum, you know, and then he would pick up the sticks and do all that. So when we, you know, it took so much hardware to pull that off. Like when we went to Mexico, he had to have, you know, just the right kind of stands and they had to, you know, work. So it, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very uh, a good traveling situation. We had to borrow a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like my, my generation of professional musician, I would actually build the band around the idea of being able to travel. Exactly. <laughs> You would now. You would now. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. And even still, we're trying to get smaller and smaller. Like, <laughs> I think I can get even smaller now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have like a very, very small solution now. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So we already talked about what happened with Crimson around the yeah. time. Yeah. And um, it was kind of actually when, when the Trey Gun Band kind of uh, it, 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 the the energy for it just kind of uh, just went out almost the same time, almost at the same time period, like two thousand and two. Yeah, I suddenly just it just felt so old fashioned to be in a rock band. It felt actually prime. It felt archaic. Like like why? Why be doing that? That doesn't make any sense at all. Hey, was there anything in the air at that time um, culturally, or a you know, thinking out loud here, maybe it was even 9/11 or something? Was oh. there any was there anything up in the air culturally which which may have triggered this? Even like uh, in like the the kind of music that was popular or something even. I. I, I, I don't have the perspective to say that. I don't really know. I'd have to, I'd have to look at it or somebody else would have to, to compare. I mean, for me, it was, um, I mean, basically I turned 42 right then too. Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of was the end of that, that whole, that whole period was kind of the end of, of, um, well, at least looking forward from in the twenties, that was, 
kind of the end of my life. I, <clears throat> I didn't see past 2000, literally. I didn't yeah, see past yeah. 2000. Uh, so I think it was probably for me, just very, uh, very personal. Like I'd just been, I've been doing this for 20 years and why would I keep doing it? And Crimson is gone. And why would I keep trying to do that? And um, what kind of happened was um, I struck up a really strong artistic uh, friendship relationship with Joe Mendelssohn, the, the second war guitarist. And we were already, we were playing around with video in with the Trey Gun Band and also um, playing around with, I don't remember how we did it, but I, I, I know we were starting to play around with what does it mean when you have text on the screen with the music? And so we did a couple of little experiments. And like, once I did that, I was like, I'm not being, I, 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 why be in a rock band? That doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. You know what you're getting. Okay, there's good and there's bad, but you know it. And and that's kind of how this Quodia project began. Um, that uh, once Joe and I kind of stepped off the edge into that, I just couldn't do the rock band thing at all. It just didn't make any sense to carry your gear around the world and make a giant, big, loud noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so maybe we talk about that for a little bit, just because, uh, does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, 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 the way the Quotia project began pretty much was I wrote a very short little text and I was kind of nervous to bring it to Joe because I don't know, but uh, he was open. And in the course of one weekend, we just very quickly made what ended up being the opening eight minutes of our, our, our first piece. And uh, we did it in Joe's tiny, tiny little studio in Hell's Kitchen in New York. Um, and it was, um, I was playing uh, very much that percussive stick kind of style of playing with the war guitar and uh, narrating this story, uh, narrating this thing. We'll talk, I'll talk about that in a second, but, and Joe recorded me uh, saying it and playing while he played uh, this keyboard pad that was moving around the tonality. And uh, that was our first, we just did a pass of it and was like, shit, that's fucking crazy. And um, we liked it. And actually one of the things that was interesting that we spent pretty much the duration of the project, trying to chase that sound, figure out how to do it live, was that my vocal mic was picking up the actual tapping of the instrument. Mm -hmm. And so it gave this really extremely percussive, like a kalimba kind of sound where the, the DI sound was kind of the, the roundness around basically this, this tapping. And uh, man, I spent like five years trying to figure out how to do that, get that live. <laughs> uh, and so that was the the Cody. And then, then he came out to Seattle and we added the visual element, which was some words and some imagery. And the, the project just kind of was born from that. Um, and it was um, super amazing because we, we were both into um, what I kind of look at as like uh, the, these, this, 
I don't know what you call it, but this axis of the, the art, uh, which is there's um, there's 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 like language, visual, and and audio, and in in the audio, like on the audio axis, there's kind of music on one end and sound design on the other end. And then um, with the visual, you have like uh, very specific kind of iconic imagery over to, you know, abstract. And then, then language, there's the, I can't remember how we thought of it, but like there's like clear text and then actually the symbols of the letters. And so we kind of had this thing where we were playing all these elements and we came up with a, a, a kind of a vision where you you don't have all the elements happening all at the same time. And what we ended up with doing with this this piece that became the arrow, which was the, the piece that we performed, um, the screen was just completely black for three minutes, and there was nothing there. And I would be telling, narrating this story with, along with the music, and then eventually. A piece of the uh, a word from what I was saying would pop up on the screen and mutate, and and Joe and I were just completely in sync for a long for 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 this for this whole project where um, we did not like it when the imagery was super clear, like you could say, oh, that's a woman's face, or we came up with a version where like this is too on the nose. This is too abstract, or the music's being very specific, and the language is being specific. So let's use something abstract, and we found a way to just kind of balance all of these elements into a, a whole thing. And um, I can just go on and on about this, unless you have a question. <laughs> no, I, I want you to go on. Okay. Okay. So. Um, we knew we were making something really amazing. And actually my friend, uh, John Hendow, who I'm still in touch with, um, was working at the, the Experience Music Project here in town. And he let us go in and he arranged for us to go in and film a demo of the opening of the piece at the Sky Church, which has this insane uh, video display. And when we went into, and I can talk about the text a little bit more in a second, but when we went into, uh, maybe I should at first, the way that the, the text was a story, basically, but it, it, it was, it was, um, it was basically a kind of guided meditation. What I discovered when I would play it for people, the, the, the text was very clearly a story. I mean, the beginning of it uh, is about a woman and a boy and a um, mythological archetypal story. And it was vague enough that every time I played it for someone, they, they made their own story out of it. And that's when I thought, okay, we got something going on here. At least for the moment, fuck rock and roll. There's something amazing is going on here that, that there's this... Um, skeleton of a scaffolding that people are like pouring their own psychology into basically and mm -hmm. and perhaps even part of their spiritual life I, I i couldn't say but so when we first performed it 
at, at the Sky Church, there was no audience, but there were people in, going on the way to, on their way to the museum. And I noticed a pu- couple of people like frozen watching us. And I had, for me, pretty powerful experience of saying the words and, and they're not, um, they're, they're inside other people. And it's, and, and it's their story. It's not even, doesn't have anything to do with me at all. And we had this experience time and time again. Um, generally, the response to the performances early on were, I was going to say 70% negative. It's probably more like 40% negative because we came here to see a King Crimson guitar player wheedle wheedle on us. And it was kind of billed as that. And then the other 60% was within, there was like 55% of like, huh? And then there was like three to 5% people who had, you know, kind of a life experience. And they, you could see they would come up to us and they, Joe would be like, you got to go talk to this, this person. She's like, this is about my son and this and that. And then somebody else would have, oh, this is my grandmother when she was living in uh, South America in the desert. And somebody else is like, oh, this is this. And this is my mother. And I was like, wow, there's something wild going on here. And so we, we kind of barreled forward with this thing. And um, we, our first shows were, we played some really cool shows. We played some shows in Italy. Didn't work. We played some shows in uh, Norway, didn't really work. And what we found was that uh, because the language was English, even though the language was really simple, um, it was very much a, a, a kind of dream description, but very simple. There's a horse, there's dark eyebrows, there's a hand, there's a rabbit, you know, very, for, for us, really concrete uh, 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 English speakers. But when you, English isn't your first language and you come across this, you just have this feeling that you don't understand what's going on at all. Mm-hmm. And so Joe and I kind of really dug in to tackle this problem. And what we ended up doing was bringing in other languages. So we, we would have like, there were themes, light, dark, power, uh, and we would have the theme, like I would be telling a story and I would just say the word light and the word light would come up on the screen in English and then it would um, drift down and then off the screen. And as it drifted down, it would go through Finnish, German, Hungarian, Hebrew. And, and so that's, that's what we started playing around with. And then we took it even a step further when we went to the first, we went to Russia the first time and it was great. So, the Russians are so brutal. Sasha was like, it was pretty good, except for all that boring part, uh, who's a promoter. And then other Russians are like, why are you doing this? This is, this is shit. You should be, you should be playing more solos. And uh, we realized it didn't work. And um, so the next time we went to Russia, we were also on our way to South America. We took one of the stories, Joe was friends with uh, and, and, and had produced uh, Regina Spector's first two records, who Regina's a superstar now, but he got her to read one of the stories. That was one of the other things that we wanted to do was break up so that I'm not always narrating. So her her brother read a little part. We got a, a, a guy, Gino, here in town to uh, 
from from uh, former Yugoslavia to read a part, and then Regina read a part, and we actually filmed her lips, and so you hear her tell this over the top strange story called the Water Woman, and then eventually her giant lips appear on the screen, screen, and she finishes the story. Well, we got her to do a Russian translation and do it in Russian. And that was fascinating because um, she had her father on the phone. She was like, okay, there's these six birds. How do we do this? How do I translate this? There's like all these different ways to do it. So she had her father on the phone. And then we were talking with Sasha, who was bringing us to, to Europe. And he was very concerned that if we had a Russian um, voice in our um, in our show that if it was the wrong kind of Russian voice, it would totally throw off all the people in Moscow. Kind of like uh, as if you had somebody from Alabama reading the wrong thing in New York City, you know, like it, mm -hmm. so we had this whole big discussion. Anyway, Regina did that. And then we, we had a friend, I had a friend here do a, a, a version in Spanish. So we actually had, when we went to Russia, we had Regina's, uh, the Russian version of, uh, water woman and then we were in the uh, spanish-speaking countries we had it in spanish and it was fascinating people hated that in russia that we did it in russian mm -hmm. because they thought what you don't think we can speak english mm -hmm. whereas in south america they thought we were being so generous to uh you know so so joe and i basically we had this really interesting thing and we had to figure out a way to make as many doorways into the piece as possible because everybody's so different in different languages and um that's kind of this that's kind of the story it was a f fascinating to perform the thing because it was just the two of us so no drums joe mixed us on stage um we'd bring our own projector and our own screen um which is a whole other uh, story about it and uh what 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 was really fascinating was that the video was fixed in time so we had a one one hour and seven minute quick time file with some sound design built into it so there was water and fire and 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 regina's voice and other voices but the music that joe and i played was never there was no click track or anything we would we would play it freely along with the piece and then along with the video and then I would do the narration, which wasn't necessarily fixed with the music as well. So for myself, it was a crazy experience of um, playing and I could change the tempo. Sometimes the opening piece would be slow, sometimes it would be faster. And all I could play the piece as free as I wanted. And I could do the lyrics as long as they, the, the text, as long as it came up close with the words on the screen. So it was this really strange splitting myself into pieces that I, that, that as much as the, the, the kind of crazy polyrhythmic stuff and, and free stuff we've done, this is a very, very different experience. Um, the, the piece, the, 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 the project kind of crashed and burned. It was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, we were, we were too early for doing this kind of piece. You know, there wasn't performance spaces at the time with video screens and video projectors. Every, we, were, we were having to adapt to um, going into kind of a rock, rock and roll setting 
where you actually need to sit quietly and experience a theater piece. And, you know, there was often a bar going on at the same time. Or we'd be in a theater and our projector wasn't strong enough and wasn't big enough and the screen wasn't big enough. And the project just kind of burned out. And, you know, add eight or 10 years to that. Now there's, there's this kind of thing is going on and this, there are spaces for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, in a way it's the, it's the, it, it was kind of the pinnacle of like being able to bring everything that I have and put it in the context that really works for me, you know, not, not just a musical context, but all these other elements. And, um, uh, so it's kind of like crushingly disappointing as well as amazing to have been able mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly understand just like, you know, I was, I was I there, was. I was there following you. Like I never saw a performance of it, but like, uh, and just my impression back then. And now like from, from your description, it was sort of like a very, very spiritual, um, um, or a way of spiritual research, I would call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I mean, not just not just for you, but I mean, like it it was like a, a space that you kind of like offered, right? Yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, and this this idea to have like these um, these elements like at the same well, sometimes at the same time, but you did. They don't have to be in sync, right? No, no. It was. So you, it, Echo. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's sort of like a very much, uh, in a way, a little bit like almost like uh, 19th century kind of psych psychology, Freud, you know, kind yeah. of vibe, you know, like, um, and I, I can see that it must have been like really difficult uh, for, for people to say, Oh wow, this is cool. Or even, even, and this, this is the thing. Even if people think it's cool, and they actually get touched by this in such a way that they, they really, they realize I can't do this. Like I would, I would get like really strong reactions, and then. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. There was, there was, you know, the last we 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 had done what we thought was our last show. And then Alonso brought us down. We, I think we went down to Mexico three times. The last gig we played was like after a year break, mm -hmm. um, we went down and played uh, this international uh, poetry festival outside in Mexico city. It was, now that was amazing. And you could, it, it was such a cultural, the, the, everywhere we did it, it was such a different cultural experience because of, how people relate to their own psychology personally, but also as a culture, and then how they relate to language in general and, and performance and how open they were. And, and that was a super open performance. And we know there were people there who um, didn't even speak English that well, but I think because we were in a poetry festival, mm -hmm. we kind of all, all of our elements were, um, that people normally would have come to hear the music. I mean, there's some really cool music. Don't don't get me wrong, but they, they that was a bonus in the the poetry festival. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the 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 psychological aspect of basically we were kind of working with these archetypes in a, in an open enough a way that you weren't um, 
the characters were open. So it, it, it really was, when I say guided meditation, I, I, I'm not joking because what I found that in order to one, memorize the text and be able to not get lost, um, but also so that the feeling was working in the performance, I had to visualize the story. Mm -hmm. And if I lost the visualization, you could feel the room, the energy just would kind of disappear. And then I might even get lost in the text. But, but so that was my first aim was like, I'm going to, I have to visualize the, my version of the story tonight. And then everything's going to fall in place. And, and everybody would kind of, I don't know, there's a different kind of energy that everybody kind of rode, rode in on that. So um, super, super cool project. I could, I could, I, I could easily drop everything and just be doing that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's so daunting. It was so daunting. The you know we were using Final Cut Four at the time and trying to just figure out like sometimes it would take six hours to do a render to see that the visuals we had just made actually were shit and didn't work. It took forever. Mm -hmm. so very very daunting. Uh, yeah, and you sort of like putting yourself onto a position to play, to recite, to breathe, right? Using your voice with that, making or conjuring up the story, the imagery, so that you could deliver the story with your, with your voice. Um, I, I think also that is probably, well, I don't know, must have been like one of the most on the level of like a practicing musician, right? Like one, one of the high points really of your career as well, right? Just this, this idea of. Yeah, yeah. It was whole, whole, as holistic as it gets. Yeah, yeah. 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 Incredible, incredible. And you know what? I just had this funny idea that the, the performance we did at Seaproc, even though it was nothing like Quodia and it didn't have screen and but now that I kind of like listen, listen back to the music that we played, there's, there's something, there's something of that quota quality mm. that, that sort of introspective, um, mm. emotionally challenging archetypal kind of like stuff. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually, I think for me, it, it may have started when we, when we started playing with the sound design. Remember, like we started with the birds and yes, then we, yeah, 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 yeah. we had the little bicycle sounds in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then that was very, that was, that's like, it's funny for me when, when, and it's funny to say this because of how much music I've made and how much more music I will make. But when it's just music alone, when the music is serving something else, there's like another container that the music kind of, um, or when the music is, the, when the music isn't just the only thing, it's like becomes something bigger. It, it becomes, you know, and, and we did kind of just that simple thing of having the, the, the 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 natural sound design at the beginning and the end mm -hmm. it, it it opens it into a different door where it's not just guys playing their instruments right when, yes. when you I, I i totally agree I and totally then remember agree. when the sound kind of dropped out really quietly and then you heard the little bicycle mechanical thing is like oh wow this is it's not just playing with sound it's like 
I don't know, you're bringing in a whole other, like I think of like a whole other axis of the dimension that that's, it's like going from 3D to 4D. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and the funny thing is that, that I had that track on the, on a fader, you know, like I could, I could, I did. I, so I could, I could control that. And I, I put delays and reverb on it. I was playing with that as well, you know, right. Right. But I, I totally agree with that really set the mood. And also the fact that we allowed, I think it was maybe like, you know, the guy who announced us and then I had asked him to, to push the space bar to, to start the track, start the crickets, right? right. And so then we had, had the crickets going for like five minutes until- I know, we were we were no rush to begin. <laughs> <laughs> and, awesome. Yeah. 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 So yes, there's something, there's something cool there. And actually, you know, I, I it's funny to talk about this in, uh, in this context, but um, I'm really curious to see what our next thing is like, almost precisely because of the, the, the cover art that Julia gave us mm -hmm. because that, that adds like a, like I could, I feel like I could run with that in some kind of way. Yeah. Um, and it also, for me, the, the cover art, and I mean this in a, in a, in a very positive way, it just doesn't, it doesn't kind of like pick up from the visual of the show. It's mm. like, it's like something very different. It's sort of like more like the music without a visual and then, you know, and. Uh, it's really tricky with the whole visual thing. And I, I know we're just talking about the cover art, but the thing that, that Joe and I wrestled a lot with that when you see, um, when you see a, a tool show or a, a Stephen Wilson show, the visuals are doing something completely different than what we were trying to do and, and, and in fact they're uh, they're doing they're having the opposite effect of what we were trying to do with Quodio where they're they're like a um, uh, like a film they're filling you up with themselves and um, you know, one of my friends even thought that the, the visual element in the tool show was actually fascism. <laughs> That's a little extreme for me, but but I, I I get it. Like like what we were trying to do was be suggestive to get your own your own. Basically, you couldn't experience the Cordia show without activating your own creative insides. And of course, a lot of people don't uh, don't know how to do that. Some people, like you say, don't want to do it because you're opening up a gate that that um, you know dark shit is going to come in as well. And and there's some really dark stuff in the the Cordia show stuff where people were like, uh, you know, didn't didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's it's really tricky with with because we're such a visual culture. We're, we watch. We see TV and amazing visuals and all of those things are, they're generally filling you up as opposed to uh, enticing what's in, in you uh, out to the front, you know, enticing what's deeper to the outside, I guess. You know, I, I, I have been into hypnotherapy for a long time. Like that's one of the things that I, that I learned and do, right? Um, and it's, uh, it's about, it's about leaving the blanks, you know, 
it's you don't you don't finish the sentence it's and then like the 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 listener the viewer kind of starts filling in these words and and i remember even that you guys had like blurred text mm -hmm. is that possible do i well, remember that correctly yeah we didn't have there weren't there weren't very many um visual effects available to us at the time so that was one of the things that we would do we wanted the words to kind of it's fascinating when you first of all it's really fascinating when you read a word compared to when you hear it and when you're both when it's both happening at the same time and let's say you throw the word power up there but the text keeps going the, the verbal text keeps going but the word power stays up there and it starts to blur into another word like notice over the top of the music and the text it just makes this um, if you're really in it, you, you, it makes this weird stretching thing where your brain kind of gets overloaded with it. And mm -hmm. so yeah, we did a lot of blurring because that was kind of <laughs> one of the things that we could do. And also blurring one word into another word, like which word and which, you know, which word in the text that I'm speaking are we going to grab on? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it would be a, a, a mundane word and sometimes it would be, but it, you leave a mundane word up there long enough and the the vocal text keeps going, it starts to take on other meaning too, depending on, you know, and uh, like I say, a lot of it was trying to um, make openings for, for, for so, so that there would be an opening somewhere for every different kind of person and, and culture that that was the idea. Yeah, great, great idea. Wonderful. And so you, you, but you said that looking back, you feel you feel a little bit of um disappointment still well we just didn't we didn't ever get a we didn't we got we, we didn't get a yes from the world at large in order to keep keep doing it we got we got yes from um specific people who had experiences in the show and big yeses like bigger yeses than i would i would say a lot of the um, a lot of my musical life uh God. but but um uh we didn't get enough yeses from the world to keep it going and i didn't have the energy to, to blast on yeah so are you still in touch with joe yeah yeah, yeah. well he he's he um i think it <laughs> i think it may have completely burned him out as well because <laughs> he you know he did all the mixing and and, and it took like a year took a year to mix the, the project and especially in the 5.1 and he sorted out his his own way to do surround sound and um yeah he's he uh he was running a, a a tv and film mixing studio in new york and sold that and i i think he's he's been living in mexico a lot i don't know i think he may still be there mm -hmm. you know what <laughs> We we talked uh, about ninety minutes already, <laughs> and and like we're like this is this is kind of like the, the point where it gets interesting now. I have to quote you for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's that's gonna be a good conversation. <laughs> Around that time, was there anything else? I don't think so. I, I can't really remember. Um, 
Um, yeah, I think I was pretty. Um, yeah, there must not have been stuff. Well, there's the like, I don't know when the UKZ thing happened, um, but there, there, I didn't really want to do bands anymore, you know, and I didn't want to go on the road. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do what you guys were doing in Stickman. I just couldn't do that. You know, that's what you had to do. That's what you had to do if you were going to be, if you're going to have any success, you just needed to hit clubs over and over and over once or twice a year. And I just couldn't do that anymore. But you played a few shows with Pat and you also went to Russia with Pat, right? And yeah, and and KTU, which turned into K2. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that was that was also um, around that time. Yeah, you're right. So I, I remember um, like the very first show that you played as a that, that was still as a four piece, obviously. Um, in, in Helsinki, I was there actually, I was I was opening for you guys you may not, oh. even, not even remember <laughs> i don't remember that just by yourself or no with a with a finnish guy oh, that's right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> with petri yeah it's it funny was... i remember from that show too sasha brought us and he also said the same thing it's a bit boring mm. yeah <laughs> then i he, mean he got it then he got it later yeah sasha sasha is kind of like you know he's not really about the art he's about the uh pleasing the audience and and that's understandable right yeah. <laughs> from yeah, his perspective <laughs> well he kept bringing us so yeah 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 so um amazing like so that was like you say 42 43 44 maybe and and the next the next 16 years or more <laughs> we can start talking about next time if yeah. you still if you still want to do another yeah let's do it let's finish let's let's try to get to the end yeah it's yeah, well not the end but yeah <laughs> it's it's fascinating isn't it this this h42 right yeah it is and, and how this this idea of seven years and the octave and stuff like that really actually seems to play out yeah it really does it does <laughs> you know what's 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 even stranger i think or maybe it changes even more when you get older um that uh i i felt like like these these seven year periods from 42 backwards they kind of just like clunked in like 41 then bam 42 and now it doesn't feel like that at all it feels like uh it starts several years earlier and there's this kind of weird like this feeling like you're in a solid zone, like 50s, my 50s, I just felt like I was in a solid zone, like 56, right? That's one and you're, you're like solid there and then everything's great. And then it just starts to get all whooshy for a few years. And now, mm -hmm. and that's not that, that, that kind of mindset from that, that time period is kind of going away, but the new one isn't in yet. And so there's like, like the 63 now is pulling me. And it feels like it's going to be good when I get there, but like in between, it's really very uncomfortable. It didn't used to be like that for me. It used to be just like, you know what I mean? Like you're just going with this, this 30 cents and then like, bam, 42, all new. I know exactly what you mean, but it's, it's, it starts to blur much more. Yeah. Yeah. But still you can see the, that the, 
you could say it's either like the the summit or the valley, right? Mm-hmm. That you get to at these points, you know. And yeah, I, I wonder if it's if it's really just about um, actually having a sense for it. You know, it could be awareness. It could be awareness, and 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 like you have a because you've been around that that little circle so many times, you start to like, oh, we're 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 at three o'clock now. Uh, now it's five thirty. Uh, I know five thirty. That's that's like okay. That means midnight's going to come eventually. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to be at seven times seven this year. Ah. So <laughs> it's interesting, and I'm actually running a course right now, which is forty nine weeks long. I wow. don't I don't know if I told you, but it's it's kind of it's it's a touch guitar course, right? For forty nine weeks, it's an experiment, and like the idea is that. As we know, people drop out, right? Out of these, like when you do your your ear training course, modes course. Longer one, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, okay, let's do a long course so that people can actually return. <laughs> it's yeah, sort of like idea. the idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I don't remember forty nine specifically, but I do remember fifties was great. Fifties was where I was like. When I turned 50, I was like, you know what? I'm going to work as little as possible now mm-hmm. in, the, in the good way. You know, like if I can do this thing with as little effort as possible, that's how I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do three times effort for, for one particle of effect. You know, if I can do a half, if I can do a half, a, half a joule of energy, that's the way to do it now. And I really try to do that everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's that's so funny because um, when I had the um, like the burnout at forty-two, which really was sort of like a burnout, um, my friend Eric, who you know the the Viking Viking Eric, like he said something to me where he said, "Marcus, you only need to do like five percent of what you want to do, and you will still be doing a hundred percent." That's great. That's that's. That's wisdom. Viking wisdom. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, you just have to learn which is the five percent. That's the thing. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, life would have been totally different, you know. But if you do the wrong five percent, then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, uh, shall we meet again next week, same time? Uh, or, we can't or... because we're meeting with Barry. Oh yeah, we are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, maybe the week after. Yeah. Okay, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Nice one. Nice one. Take care. All See right. You soon. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye bye. Cheers. Cheers.